Harris Studios. This is Accounting for Tomorrow, an accounting and advisory services podcast for community leaders with a passion for change. We are ready to look past the numbers and ensure that today's planning efforts create success for tomorrow. Well, thank you for joining us today. It's exciting to have a couple guests on today and talk about Idaho Nonprofit Center, but also just the nonprofit community here uh, in the state. Today, I have Kevin Bailey, the executive director of the Idaho Nonprofit Center, joining us, and Cheryl Guidi, who's also a partner with me at Harris CPAs and in charge of our nonprofit industry. Really quick, Kevin is the executive director of the Idaho Nonprofit Center and was the CEO of United Way of Southeastern Idaho and has been involved a ton of other education and social impact organizations, and is just a true leader in the nonprofit community. So thank you, Kevin, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Before we get going, Kevin, maybe you could just give us a little Idaho Nonprofit Center plug, you know, just give us a little information about it. Yeah. So for those who don't know, Idaho Nonprofit Center is a statewide nonprofit. Really at the core of our mission is supporting the thousands of nonprofits that exist from the Panhandle all the way to East Idaho and in between. We do that through capacity building training on things like board governance, fundraising, finance, leadership development. And then most people know us through our work with Idaho Gives. So we run Idaho Gives, which is the state's largest week of giving for nonprofits, raises about $4 million for 640 nonprofits. And then we do a bunch of nonprofit advocacy too. And that's the the really fun stuff, but that's more, you know, legislative session. Thanks. Yeah, that's great having you here. We also have Cheryl Weedy, and Harris has been an active partner with the Idaho Nonprofit Center before I've even been at Harris. Cheryl is one of our founding partners. She's led our firm and led our nonprofit industry group for probably over 20 years, 25 years now. Just been a huge proponent of the nonprofit community. She's involved not only leading our industry group here at Harris, but also active in the community as well. All different aspects of services that we provide nonprofit. Cheryl's kind of the leader on it. So welcome, Cheryl, to the podcast. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So to get going here, we just finished probably a couple weeks, three, four weeks ago with the Idaho Nonprofit Conference. It's labeled Amplify Band Together. And it went over leadership development, collaboration, fundraising, governance, advocacy, tons and tons of different topics. I probably missed a few there. But Kevin, it was the first conference back in person. It had a great turnout. Give us how it went and kind of what your takeaways were. Yeah, we were really excited to get this conference back together in person. It was We were excited about the energy that would be there. It actually sold out really, really quickly. Usually Idahoans, and maybe this is true all over the country, wait to the last minute to register for things. And then you're waiting on catering and all that stuff. But it was sold out weeks in advance. And it was just amazing to kind of feel the energy in the room. 300 nonprofit leaders and professionals from across the state together and sharing ideas, building community. There's a really, I think, just something powerful about getting people in a room and getting them away from their day-to-day work and seeing the kind of ideas and the relationships and the synergies that come up between leaders that are working on really hard problems. And Cheryl, you were a speaker at the conference as well as attending the whole thing. I don't know if you had takeaway or something that you took away from the conference. Yeah, I felt that being together, I agree with Kevin, being together and being able to talk through issues and concerns or just have fun together was nice to be in person, really appreciated that. I thought even the vendors and sponsors that were there at the conference got together and talked about things and and shared amongst themselves. Just happy to be in person with each other. Yeah, I think everyone was super excited to be back in person. I was even looking a little bit at the sponsor. It seems even like the sponsorship levels were even increased this year. Like everyone wants to 
Yeah, we, back we actually together. sold out of exhibitor booth tables. We had no more space, and we were at Jump, which is downtown Boise, and it was on multiple levels in Jump. And so the space in the hallways was completely packed with vendors, and we had vendors that we had to turn away, which is a good problem to have. And people were just excited to be there, I think. That was That's fun. Awesome. That was a fun time. Awesome. So we had a couple keynote speakers. Kevin, some of the times that kind of leads the discussion through the entire conference or some of the topics. So give us a little bit about the keynote speakers and what, and maybe some of their message. Yeah, so we had a couple of local guys, John Michael Shirt and Brett Perry. They're actually two professional Juilliard-trained ballet dancers, and now they're involved heavily in the arts community here in Boise. They've been involved in a number of entrepreneurship ventures as well, and as well as leadership development and have a kind of a consulting business. So we had this really unique opportunity to have this keynote that was actually a performance, and it unfolded in front of the audience, within the audience in real time. And so it was a, a two-person keynote. It's really hard to describe on a podcast. You kind of almost had to see it, but we had basically ballet being performed and kind of executed with leadership lessons mixed in in real time. They were on top of the tables. They were moving through the room. The audience was involved. And it was just this really kind of tangible demonstration of how leadership can work kind of in real life. So it was it was really cool. We also had the CEO of the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust out of Vancouver, Washington. And they're a big funder of nonprofits across the Pacific Northwest, including in Idaho, And their CEO, who's fairly new to the position, came in, and I really loved her message. She said she talked about the triple impact that nonprofits have, and that triple impact really is on hearts and minds of Idahoans, on lives and livelihoods, and on systems and structures. And that kind of, that really stuck with me because nonprofits are more than, you know, just how much we raise or how many people we serve, but it also changes sort of the culture of Idaho in terms of how people give back, how they're civically involved, how they think about their communities. And her message really spoke to that. We have this bigger civic mission as a sector than even just our day-to-day business kind of makes that apparent. Good to see John and Brett back. I know they originally came to the Valley through the Trey McIntyre project, right? Which I think a lot of us, I went to a lot of their shows and it was sad to see that move on. But it was, it's great to see them back and involved in the arts community and and the nonprofit. Yeah, they've been involved in Tree Fort Mm -hmm. and getting that festival going and then the music hall and... So yeah, just really involved in the art scene, and they were great, great keynote uh, folks for our conference. Excellent. And Cheryl, you spoke at the conference as well on a financial toolkit and templates. Tell us a little bit about some or something that, you know, a little recap of what you discussed. Yeah, our presentation was centered around a tool that we found out about. It's a website called strongnonprofits.org. It was funded by the Wallace Foundation. It's a completely free to anyone, but to all nonprofits to download these tools. And the tools center around like budgeting, cash flow, operations, like a monthly close checklist, data analysis, so KPIs if you want to start to track some audit information if you need an audit, how to, you know, what questions you should ask an auditor, and then some governance issues like a business plan and things like that. It's a wonderful website of free tools. We get asked a lot, well, do you have a budget worksheet or a cash flow worksheet? And so here they are, Excel downloadable spreadsheets to track your, you know, create a budget or, you know, maybe enhance your current budget. So really a wonderful source of tools. Excellent. What's the website again? Yes, it's strongnonprofits.org. Okay, excellent. So we're coming into fall. You know, we have galas, annual campaigns starting up, and then we're also trying to get ready for for the next year. And so just from your guys' perspective, and what are you 
seen coming up in the nonprofit community or what are you looking towards falling into 24? So on the accounting side, I, I would say that a lot of nonprofits got governmental funds for the first time. And so they're trying to now have to report that. And so I know I had a conversation at conference with the Murdoch Foundation about maybe how to help nonprofits get their financials in which they're really showing their picture and their and what's actually happening in the organization. And so I think there's some emphasis on that now. And a lot of nonprofits are really starting to look at their financials as a way to express what they're doing and not just, you know, they have to have it done. Yeah, I think you've seen some of that government funding has really caused some massive ups and downs sometimes in nonprofit financials. And being able to explain that to them, you know, is, is important. Exactly. So, Kevin, from your standpoint, right, as you're preparing this fall and going into next year, what are you and the nonprofit center looking at? Yeah, so sector-wide, I think everyone's, you know, end-of-year fundraising is top of mind. I just pulled some of the data from our state-of-the-sector survey. Actually, it was our membership survey from this last year, so it's even more recent. Only about 25% of our survey respondents reported that giving from individuals, especially small donors, and even major gifts is going up. So only it's only a quarter of nonprofits are really experiencing kind of growth from individual donors. So that's a little bit concerning. I think there's Earlier this year and into last year, there was a lot of economic uncertainty in terms of are we entering a recession? Would donors continue to give at levels that they did during the pandemic? The Fundraising Effectiveness Project, which is a national data set, in the last quarter that they released their report, individual donors dropped about negative 4%, and dollars raised was essentially flat, just slightly negative 0.7%. So we are seeing this sort of uncertainty in the fundraising world. Um, A lot of that funding is being made up by foundations and sometimes corporate sources as well. But from the individual kind of donor base, which has always been the lifeblood of the nonprofit sector, we're continuing to see this kind of downward trend. So that's really concerning. I think there's more nonprofits doing capital campaigns right now. There's more nonprofits ramping up kind of production of their programs because we're we're seeing tremendous population growth in, in Idaho and the demand on services is really greater than it ever has been, but those dollars really aren't keeping up. So we need to perhaps get creative. I don't have necessarily a silver bullet for that problem. We're certainly going to do our part at the Idaho Nonprofit Center in terms of raising awareness for the sector, raising awareness around tools and programs like Idaho Gives, Idaho Philanthropy Day, telling those stories about the great work that nonprofits are doing so that hopefully we can inspire the public to, you know, give time, talent, and treasure in the ways that they can to support these great missions across the state. Thanks. Yeah, I think you had a combination of the last couple of years, right? A lot of money coming into people's pockets. And, and then also with the interest rate, just the whole economy, people adjusting to maybe a new normal for the next foreseeable future. And it all kind of trickles down and impacts the whole economy. But how do nonprofits adjust and, and do that? So it's, I guess, not alarming to me to see individuals kind of, you know, donations flatlining a little bit. But it's great to see foundations stepping up and corporate entities stepping up to help and continue that growth in the community. So yeah, it's really it's it's a huge need. So you know, and hopefully we can reignite some of that individual giving, but uh, or at least stop the bleeding from that perspective. But it's yeah, the fiscal cliff is real. There's a lot of those funds going away before 2026, and you know, folks still have the same number of folks in line waiting for housing or waiting for services. So it doesn't change the demand on services. 
we get a lot of questions. I'm sure you guys get questions all the time. Nonprofits calling you, people in the community calling you, asking for your advice. Give us one that you get oftentimes and then what your response is, because it's amazing how many times these people are calling. And so this is kind of a platform to be able to share that across the board. So Cheryl, I'll start with you. Maybe give us questions you field commonly. Yeah, this year, particularly, I think I've spoken already four conferences on internal controls, and we've gotten several phone calls of people wanting to know, like, how do I know if my internal controls are, are right? I think people are worried about their funds. I, I agree with that and want to make sure they're keeping the funds that they do have and they're just being fiscally responsible as they've come back to the office and they're no longer remote and everybody is working. And so I agree that, you know, internal controls is important and we've been trying to help nonprofits and and all entities really just do an internal risk assessment and make sure that their internal controls are where they should be for the size of their organization. I'm guessing sometimes it's different depending on the type, like when they call for internal controls, like adjust it for the size, like, right? Because some people are working at a big company, but then volunteering on a smaller car, you know, there's just all different sizes. So talk a little bit about that. Definitely very individualized for each organization. Um, A lot of smaller organizations struggle with the separation of duties. And so trying to help them find people outside of the accounting per se function to help with the internal controls has been important. And you're right, just every organization is different. We wish it was a cookie cutter because then everybody would just do it. But it's just not. And you have to look at your processes and controls. Absolutely. Kevin, what about you? Questions that you get? Yeah. So we have a nonprofit helpline and I think there's north of a thousand requests and questions that come in throughout the year. And really where we see um, the most kind of angst is around board and CEO type relationship issues or governance issues. And, you know, I always, people ask me like, what makes an effective nonprofit? And I think you know, Paramount is sort of nailing that that relationship and getting obviously the right folks on your board, hiring the right CEO or executive director, and then making sure that there's a really good partnership between those two entities that can work well together, that have a shared vision, that understand each other's roles, are not stepping on each other's feet. We'll often see things like you know, an organization that maybe was more of a working board because it was a small organization for a long time, and they've grown and they've now hired more staff and they've hired, you know, maybe a more experienced executive director, but there's board members who still want to, you know, show up and and play that program director role. And they're trying to work out some of those roles and responsibilities, or maybe they don't even have term limits and they need to sort of graduate some of these board members onto the next thing so they can get some fresh ideas and fresh perspective in. And, And so, and the other thing that boards do really hiring and firing well is important. I hate to use the word firing, but you know, leadership probably has an expiration date for many nonprofits, and turnover can be a healthy thing in some cases, or at least a renewal of, of leadership in, in a way that makes sense for the organization. So that's that's probably the most important thing that a board does is getting that hire right and then supporting that nonprofit CEO or executive director. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was on a, a board for nine years until I termed out. But one of the biggest things we did in that whole time period was the hiring of a CEO and the impact that he was able to make in our organization is unbelievable. And part of it was the way he managed and communicated to the board too. It became a real partnership between the board and and him and the organization definitely saw the huge impact from that. So it is that relationship between all those different parties is huge when it comes to being successful, especially as we go into these times where we've got some 
you know, figure out funding issues and, and all these different things that are coming down the pipe to have that strength at the top is definitely important. Yeah. Yeah. And you nailed it. It's partnership. That's the key word. And there are resources for boards to do that hiring well. They don't have to do it all themselves. They don't necessarily even have to have a ton of expertise in that area. There's so many, you know, third-party partners that can be really helpful resources to help boards manage transition and manage succession plans and get really, you know, talented leaders in the pipeline. Going off on that partnership theme a little bit, but kind of circling back to the conference, one of the themes at the the conference was the collective impact. And it's been a theme that's really picked up steam over several years now. And there are, you know, there's thousands of nonprofits. They're all doing really, really good work. Or what does collective impact mean? Uh, Maybe Kevin can start us off. And and what could we do uh, to make it better? Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's it's really realizing that one single organization is not going to solve the housing crisis. They're not going to solve homelessness on their own. There's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, organizations, nonprofits are typically equipped to handle, you know, they have an area of excellence, right? So if you look at the housing issue, you know, you might have one organization that's really good at preventing eviction. You have another organization that's really good at sheltering folks who are on the street, uh, emergency shelter. You have another organization that's really good at building low-income housing and getting folks qualified with mortgages into those units, right? There's a whole spectrum. When those groups are aligned around a shared purpose, and using common goals, common data, sometimes shared leadership, convening often, all of those things, then we have what we, ha- what we call a collective impact model. And we do have an example of that here in the Valley. Our Path Home in the housing world is a public-private partnership between a lot of housing nonprofits as well as the city and Ada County, and it really serves as a single point of entry so that they can share you know, data on who's asking for help, who's needing certain types of assistance, and they can direct those requests to the proper nonprofit that's in sort of in that lane and can address that issue uh, most effectively. I think that just being together and having conversations, going back to conference, being there, I think if you get to know those people in the other organizations, it makes it so much easier to work with them. You understand them. You don't feel like you're competing anymore, that you're really working together and through a common purpose. So having conference and things where organizations can get together is super important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think organizations like Cheryl and Harris and the nonprofit industry group being able to connect all the, the different nonprofits we see when they have questions. And then the IDO Nonprofit Center, those are the kind of partners in the community that can really help collective impact and matching people up and seeing it. Because I know sometimes it's hard for a nonprofit. They're in doing their piece and they're working extremely hard at trying to accomplish that. And it's hard for some, for them sometimes to to know what others are doing. Yeah, it's really hard to step out of the day-to-day, and that's so collective impact, I think, does take a little bit of extra work. There's maybe more friction in it than just kind of plowing ahead on your own. But on the other side, I think there's more um, income opportunity, revenue opportunity, and I think a lot of, especially large funders, want to fund collaborative and collective projects. And I've seen that in my career in projects that we've been involved in directly where we had access to large institutional funders that really drove our revenue up because we were active participants and leaders in some of these collective impact projects. Which So, there, so there's an incentive. I think that incentive with the right partnerships, it can lead to a lot of growth and positive uh, revenue growth as well. Excellent. Well, thank you, Kevin and Cheryl, for coming on our podcast. It's been great hearing about IDO Nonprofit Conference and all the other topics that we discussed. And 
Uh, you guys really, both of you are experts in our community and definitely connectors in, in the community and leaders in the nonprofit industry here in Idaho. And we appreciate you guys coming on our podcast and sharing some information. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Harris CPA's Accounting for Tomorrow. Stay tuned for new episodes each month. Podcasts are also available on our website at harriscpas.com slash podcasts. Any accounting business or tax advice contained in this podcast is not intended as a thorough in-depth analysis of specific issues, nor a substitute for a formal opinion, nor is it sufficient to avoid tax-related penalties. If you'd like, Harris CPAs would be pleased to perform the research and provide you with a detailed analysis of your specific situation. Thank you.